Hello and welcome back to the About Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. You can follow the podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at about to review subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, Blueberry, Podbane, Podstomatic, <laughs> Google Play. Uh, the only reason I'm on Google Play is because of the person that is going to be joining me on this episode. Uh, and I'm still waiting for somebody to send me a video of them talking to their Alexa saying, Alexa, play about to review. I think I'm on there. I need somebody to check. So uh, on this episode, I'm joined by a very good friend. Because I am on location in the great state of Tejas. The Lone Star State. I have to say great state because there are people all around me who, if you do not say great state before you say Texas, they get real mad. Watch your words. So welcome to the show, the first time in person, uh, a good friend and host of a multitude of podcasts, Mm. Mr. Damian Randall. That's right. Uh, D. Randall, known for the rhymes. Finally get to meet John for the first time. Oh, bars. <laughs> See? Uh, didn't know that was coming. I did not. Oh, bars right off the top. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, so on this episode, we're going to be talking about the 48-hour film project that happened in Seattle recently. Uh, then I'm going to go into a review of a new film called Annabelle Creation that is in theaters right now. Uh, so, Damien, mm-hmm. it is the time of the show of the show the part of the show where the favorite the fan favorite edition where i tell someone to introduce the theme song huh? go do i have to <laughs> yes you have to it is part of it is a requirement to be on this show <laughs> oh come on man yep and go for it <laughs> cue the theme song drop it fantastic introduction of the theme song <laughs> damien it's it's what i do um, that's what i'm con- contractually obligated to do i, I should say that it, it pretty much is okay uh so before we get into uh the meat of the episode and also before we get into who damien is and why he is on this podcast why because I? he is awesome uh but before we go into that as i mentioned this episode is going to be about the 48 hour film project uh in my glorious home city of seattle oh yeah uh, that I was on the scene reporting uh, for that, and there will be an interview with the Seattle City producer, Kirk Nordenstrom, and also, uh, he is a good friend as well, and then one of the competitors, another friend of the podcast, Angela DeMarco. So there will be two interviews. Once we do those two interviews, then we will come back here uh, to San Antonio, so kind of doing a jump across state lines. <laughs> Uh, which I kind of have to do. One of the reasons I stay anonymous. Whatever, man. Bench warrants go away after a while, right? They do. Uh, the statute of limitations in Texas <laughs> is seven years. Oh, seven years. Yeah. Oh, sweet. So I should not come back here for seven years. No, no. Anyway, <laughs> so we'll cut to those interviews and then come back and Damien and I will give our top three of the 48-hour film project uh, and we will go from there. So here you go. A couple interviews from the 48-hour film project, Seattle edition. Yes. It is another year, 2017. Here I am at the SIF Uptown Cinema celebrating the 48-hour film project, Seattle Leg. 13th year. 13th year. That is incredible. So now some people would say 13 is an unlucky number. What is the luckiest thing to have happened so far this year? We had our youngest ever competing team. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tell me about that. Bunch of nine-year-olds. 
Nine years old. Nine year olds. Now, okay, having a nine year old team, great. Did they finish on time? Are they, we? They finished on time and they got an award. Wow. Which, by the time people are listening to this, what award did they win? If you can whisper it. <laughs> they got the Future of Film Award. Imagine that. <laughs> That is awesome. And I gave it, you know, I wanted the, the kids to have it. Of course. But also I got to I got to talk to their parents. Uh-huh. And the award is as much for the parents as it is for the kids. Absolutely. Uh, it's just insanely cool that their parents are so supportive of something that, you know, something that most parents would consider frivolous or, right. you know, foolhardy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool. I mean, that just, you know, it's four friends. And, you know, they just all banded together and their families banded together. And they had family come in from Mexico to, to see it. So Amazing. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, I realize that we're a minute or so in and I've not introduced who I'm sitting down with, which <laughs> anybody in the Seattle film community will recognize. But I'm sitting down with Kirk Nordenstrom. Hi. The uh, producer extraordinaire of the $40 Film Project. I'm producer. I'm city producer. I'm happy with that title. <laughs> city producer, but, you know. Next year with bigger and better things, you might, I mean, you are stretched to your breaking point because you are involved in so many projects throughout the year, just in the film and Washington community. So what else is kind of going on mainstream or big projects that you have going on other than this giant festival that we are at? Uh, I mean, the work that I do to make a living is pretty mundane. You know, (laughs) I edit a bunch of cooking videos for a number of different clients. Awesome. And, you know, just a handful of other freelance clients that I edit for. But I am going to be the assembly editor on a locally produced feature starting at the end of September. uh, Okay. By Dominic Barbaro, who's been a longtime competitor and now sponsor of the 48. Nice. And uh, so I'm going to be the assembly editor on that. Okay. So it'd be nice to work on a, you know, a narrative piece for once. Mm-hmm. All the cooking work I do is cool, <laughs> right? But you know, it's not. You, c- as you can only look at chopped onions so many times. Oh, you have no idea how many times I've edited footage of someone dicing an onion. See, and you would think at some point you could get real clever and see if they even notice. Just start throwing in clips from months and years past. You know? Uh, so no, they'd catch it. <laughs> they my, cli- my clients are actually pretty buttoned down about this. Buttoned down about this stuff. Okay. So. Nice. So you and I were talking before we started recording about some of the numbers this year. So break it down for us. How big was it this year? So 65 teams registered, 63 teams showed up, Uh and 61 teams turned in films. Which is an incredible, I mean, like when you think about like just the rate of attrition for something like this where people can get real excited. They're like, I'm going to do a film (laughs) in 48 hours. Then they go there and they're like, Wait, I have to do what and turn it in by when? <laughs> so to only have essentially four drop-offs is incredible. Yeah. I mean, crazy stuff happens. I mean, some. I remember one year there was a team that was not going to turn their film in, and I always try to talk people, and it's like, hey, maybe it's not exactly the film you wanted right. to make, but, you know, y'all worked hard, and you deserve to kind of celebrate and see it on the Absolutely. big screen. <laughs> I came back and said, we drew comedy. None of us laughed at it. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's a pretty convincing argument. <laughs> yeah. Now, was that a year when dark comedy was a category? This is probably, God, seven, eight years ago. So okay. I, it may or may not have been. Okay. 
Because dark, dark comedy is a category, so maybe they could have been able to convince you, like, no, really, we wanted to go in this direction. Hey, you know, if you laugh, it's comedy. That's true. And all of us have seen movies, major theatrical releases that are not comedies that we end up laughing at. Yeah. So there's always that chance. My favorite non-comedy comedy being Evil Dead 2, which I think is one of the, the greatest comedies ever produced. 100% agree. Yes. And that was not really his intention going into it. Well, you it, could look in that movie. And it like, was more so an evil in the Evil Dead, the first one, true. and they did kind of try to make a comedy with Evil Dead Two. Yeah, because you look but, at Evil Dead One, like it is a horror flick. Yeah, and it's also not not a very good one. Either. Well, he filmed it. I mean, the budget was like fifty thousand yeah, dollars or nothing. something. Yeah, yeah. Um, evil Dead Two, they had money, and I think they made one of the greatest comedies of all time. My old cat's name was Ash, so that tells you a little bit about how much I uh, love that yeah. movie. Just maybe. <laughs> just a little bit. Excellent. So with this year being the 13th year, seeing how much it has you know, expanded, you know, have you seen more people from around the Seattle area participate? You know, the, the numbers from just kind of Seattle metropolitan area are mm-hmm. kind of about the same. Okay. But I think we, we had a... Better than normal turnout from uh, Bellingham and Whatcom County this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah. And, then, you know, we get a handful from, like, Olympia and a couple from the peninsula. Which, for and those not familiar with Seattle geography, like, that is a couple hours. Yeah. You know, each way. Yeah. Um, last year, we had a team from Coeur d'Alene, Coeur d'Alene, okay. Idaho. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, about five and a half hours yeah. away. And we've had – I don't. we didn't have any Spokane teams this year, but we usually get, you know, a Spokane right. team. But they're all busy shooting Z Nation, so they're all too busy working. Pretty much the entire film community in Spokane is involved in Z Nation. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. I mean, yeah. that, that budget I and tr- just that budget, the production, it is a big deal. Oh, yeah. And congratulations. Uh, one thing that, I mean, has been a big deal in the local community in the past few months, the Film in Washington incentives. Yes. So huh. you worked so hard on this you and so many other people in the seattle area and in spokane another huge film community in oh spokane really really kicked out the jams to yeah to lobby give a loose framework for why this film in washington incentive is so important uh well seattle washington is sandwiched between portland Mm -hmm. oregon which has they're expanding their film incentive cap to, I think, $22 million Okay. Over the next couple of years, they were at $10 million up until about a year ago. Okay. So they're really expanding. And they have, you know, five TV shows going and a couple yeah. of, you know, they're, Oregon is doing very well. Mm-hmm. And then we have the powerhouse Vancouver up to the north. (laughs) Yeah, Vancouver, BC. Which I believe has a $250 million incentive budget. And we have a $3.5 million incentive (laughs) budget. For Washington State. For Washington State. And, you know, we've been fighting to get it increased for years and years and years. But it's, the increase has never panned out. Right. But this year it was crucial because the bill was sunsetting. At the Mm -hmm. end of June this year. And luckily, we convinced our legislators, for every dollar spent in film and video production, it generates $4 in economic, direct economic activity, and $10 in indirect economic activity. Hotels, lodging. Yeah. I mean, you know, we film productions will empty out 
an antique store or oh, yeah. you know, a Goodwill. Good I mean, art departments, you know, yeah. really buy a lot. Um, and I think that is something that a lot of people, uh, some of the maybe we will say opposition in Washington, only saw it as a line item, only saw it as a linear thing and not putting it in perspective of, no, when these crews of 50, 100, 150 for something massive, when they roll into town, they, they have to shop locally, especially when you go out to places. You know, Seattle is, is huge, and they can go a lot of places. Yeah. But you start getting to central Washington, eastern Washington, you know that whole crew oh, yeah. is supporting every local business. Oh, yeah. Well, and also, if, I mean, if you just put it into perspective, you know, the state has a, about a $40 billion annual <laughs> operating budget. Right. $3.5 million is a little less than 0.01 percent. Wow. So it's one ten thousandth <laughs> of the budget. Mm-hmm. It's pocket change, right? And it pays for itself. Uh, more than yeah, more than like twice over with with local economies. According to the Office of Financial Management, on average, four to one. Four to one. Yeah. Okay, so that was the previous budget, three point five. So what is it moving towards? It's at 3.5, and we're glad to have it for now. So, okay. And it, it was renewed for 10 years. Okay. So now the effort will be to increase the size of it. Gotcha. And so remove this, the sunset. This was mainly to lock it in place for the next 10 years. At the end of the 10 years, then reapproaching and... Yeah, it also, I mean, it gives, gives time to generate more data. Okay. Data is always good. Yeah, my wife, my wife is an economist, nice. so I more than ever in my life now understand the real importance of it Mm -hmm. you know this more data especially financial data will you know create a better case for us to increase it excellent over the long haul so but right now the fine fine folks at washington filmworks Mm -hmm. can just focus on getting (laughs) jobs here that and distributing you know, the, the funds and figuring out kind of those. Well, they do. I mean, you know, their job is to help attract work, but also okay. they, they do the audits. Ah. They're the ones that keep the process transparent and honest. Okay. So they do very, very, very important work. Excellent. So shout out to Washington Filmworks. Congratulations again, uh, because like I said, I've been following your work in that film in Washington process for a while. So there's... Lots of individuals, organizations, and especially um, Seattle Office of Film and Music and mm-hmm. Washington Filmworks. Washington Filmworks really led the charge, and Amy Lillard is my hero. Awesome. So. <laughs> and especially like we talked about last year, the importance of women in film. Oh, yeah. is something that it seems like Washington, and especially Seattle, is way on top of. Hashtag Seattle where women make movies. Yeah. Like, That's why I'm really happy this year. Uh, Women in Film Seattle um, picked and is presenting the first ever uh, Buffy Award. Nice. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. For so. obvious reasons, named after one of the heroes. Buffy Summers. There you go. Excellent. So back to the 48-hour film project for this year real quick. So the category, or not the categories, the criteria for this season, or for this season, <laughs> for this leg for I, this I year. I usually call it a season. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So for this season, you had the character was Anders or Andrea Sandstrom. The prop was a hairbrush. And the line of dialogue was, you should get that looked at. Yes. How long did it take you to come up with <laughs> those? 
an embarrassing. Well, the way it works is after you've been a city producer for a certain number of years, mm-hmm. you can suggest. Right, I remember um, that. So I have to come up with five options for each category. Right, and yeah, I just most of the time my wife and I will just sit down, we'll brainstorm a bunch, and then I'll we'll pick the best five and I'll input them. And this year I just did it on my own. You know, it's it's a challenge because you want it to be you want everything to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also don't want it to be so interesting that it's difficult to implement. For sure. Um, like a hairbrush, that's something that anyone can get anywhere. Yeah. Um, I've done food in the past. I'm done using food. Really? I couldn't eat pineapples. Oh, for a while I, I think you told me about that. Pineapples and avocados were ruined was for me. Was that for me. one of the horror yeah. fest? Oh, okay. That was Avocado your mistake. and pineapple were the first two horror years. It was terrible. Uh, yeah. We did oranges one year, too, for the summer event. It was... Yeah, uh, that, is, that is just a bad idea. It got, so there were some <laughs> funny things, but when you just watch people biting straight into oranges, it's terrible. That is rough. <laughs> okay. Uh, and one of the, I mean, I was very proud this year to join your rank of sponsors for this incredible event. Um, I love supporting local art in general, but especially in the film community, it is something that I'm glad that you and I have been able to work together and do. And I know things are starting to get kind of crazy here because it is showtime. Yes, in a couple of minutes. So uh, thank you again, Kirk, for all of the work that you do. Thank you for shouting out so frequently so i appreciate it you deserve it this whole project (laughs) deserves it so thanks again kirk thank you finally making her debut on the about to read podcast Mm -hmm. miss angela demarco of mighty tripod welcome thank you thank you Uh, i say of mighty tripod and i made a joke about it earlier tonight you are mighty tripod of course, with your partner in crime, thank you, David S. Hogan. David S. Hogan, who is not here at the Seattle Forty Eight Hour Film Project because where is he? Uh, he's actually in Hollywood right now, mm-hmm. which I'll be joining him in twenty four hours uh, because we have uh, three films in the Holly Shorts Film Festival. Which a lot of people are fortunate to have one. You have three. Well, and that's not a, and I shouldn't <laughs> make it sound that way, but it's um, there. From a 48, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that the 48 lends itself to getting everyone networking, bringing the community together, Absolutely. but also the films that win, um, and even the films that don't win, like you get recognition at other film festivals, but we won last year for our film One Step Too Far, mm-hmm. and that got us into Holly Shorts this year. Then Dave and I also help Ben Andrews of Evil Slave with the Holly Shorts Screenwriter Award. Okay. So we all read a bunch of scripts that are submitted. These are writers from all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one that we picked was uh, called The Son, The Father, and we produced that film. And then that gets into Holly Shorts. So the, wow. son, the so as producers, we have a film mm-hmm. in. As creators and actors, One Step Too Far. And then I was an actor in the film Fool mm-hmm. uh, by Aaron Ray, which is in Holly Shorts as well. So, I mean, you seem like you're not really doing much these days, you know, <laughs> just hanging out, you know. And, you're and I don't want to <laughs> sound like, oh, laddie, hoity doity. No, that is it's amazing. It's really super humbling in a... Uh, I just think what's it all, it's interesting because it all, at least for us, for Mighty Tripod, a lot of where we started was with the 48s. Absolutely. Um, Which, I mean, like you said, is a great way to start, even though it is madness. 
It is I madness. Mean, it, it, it wasn't. We our very first film ever okay. was not a forty-eight. Our very first uh, short film uh, was years ago, and it was something we produced. And the very next one that we did that we wrote produced was mm-hmm. on our own. And then the one after that was a forty-eight, and it was called Trauma. Okay. And uh, and that was for the horror forty-eight. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, and it was like, oh, and we won a bunch of awards, and it felt really good. But more than that, um, it really is this, what you just experienced the tonight. The community. Mm-hmm. And then because we have our own acting school and our own uh, students who have started to do their own 48 teams, or they act on our teams. Or right. like tonight, as you witnessed, the Flames. Right. Definitely which, huge shout out to the Flames, who... Kirk mentioned earlier the youngest team to ever compete at the Seattle 48 Hour Film Project, a group of mo- mainly nine-year-olds. Yes, yeah. And these are students of yours. They are mighty tripods. So not only did you have your film tonight, yeah. Rendezvous Dogs, team name VHS Holdouts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and let's please give a shout out. That was a mighty tripod production and Adventus film. So Chris Taylor, we wouldn't have done it actually. We weren't even going to compete. Oh, wow. This was his team, and he said, "I would love to co-pro with you guys." So shout out to Chris Taylor, Adventus Films. He likes Absolutely. to sit in the back, and I tried to call him down. Right. He always makes me go up there. But um, yeah, we wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Chris, who mm-hmm. was on our very first trauma. Amazing. And reunited, <laughs> and it feels so good. Trademark before I get a cease and desist. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like you said, it is, it is the community, not just of the Seattle film community, which is already incredible, but any of these types of competitions you know that i have been to and covered both seattle spokane vancouver just mm-hmm. all over the place the passion that everybody has mm-hmm. for not just their film yeah for everyone else and after the screening tonight you had somebody come up to you and they're just like i just want to be involved yeah like i just want to be on set yeah you know just doing something that in and of, in and of itself is incredible. Well, I think f- for me, it's I get more emotional and excited for the other teams. As you saw, one of the awards <laughs> we got, I didn't even go up there. I was like just listening and like so in awe. Like, oh wait, that was me. With everybody, <laughs> and I was like, oh. Uh, but um, what I do love for us as a company, this has also been for the past however many years we've been competing now, and I say competing, and I, I don't even like saying that. How Participating. Pra- participating, uh-huh. I like that even better. Uh, we have gathered the crew that we now work with today, like the crew on our paid features. Mm-hmm. So it's like, thank you for volunteering and giving us your madness of right. no sleep and really good food. We feed mm-hmm. well. Oh, there you go. Um, but for 48 hours, but then... It's like, oh my God, that audio or that DP or that writer, that mm-hmm. was amazing, that actor. And from that, we've worked with them again. Awesome. I don't know what is happening. There's like a movie starting. I know. I was like, us. we're in the theater after the screening and suddenly Johnny Cash starts playing. <laughs> Can uh, we do that? Well, we didn't do it. We're not doing it. It's yeah. there. Yeah, no, okay. no. Um, so in the years that you have been doing all of this, just with the 48-hour yes. film project, both with the horror and with this, we could go into your other pursuits, but that would be a whole other podcast that would Probably. last hours. Yeah. But just with this experience, what is the biggest thing that you have learned through these years? Uh, When it comes to the 48s, what I've learned is to trust my instincts. Okay. And that is with, on all levels. I'll just Mm -hmm. say on all levels. If it's about a person, follow your gut. 
know, mm-hmm. whether it is to work with them or not. If it's about a, a story idea, follow your gut instead of switching. Right. You only got 48 hours. Yep. Not um, too much time to mess around. Right, mess around. <laughs> but I think even more so... Um, when I started to just, because don't get me wrong, when we first started, it was a little bit more of like, ooh, competition and cool. Mm-hmm. But it's so not about that anymore. And that comes with age and experience and confidence, I'm sure. But it's to just enjoy the ride. When we won last year, mm-hmm. I honestly, and I am not just saying this. When you won Best in City be, last best, year. Be, right. So Best of, right? Mm-hmm. We won a Spirit Award mm-hmm. because uh, one of my mighty tripods, yes. Madeline Grace, fabulous uh, young actress, uh, she got the Spirit Award. And I was like, oh, well, of course, she was so great and was passing out these wonderful handmade gifts to everyone. And I was like, she sh- of course she should. And we won Best Score. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, of course, Brandon Patrick Hogan, he's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was it. Right. <laughs> and again, what I mean is like, don't have expectations. You mm-hmm. shouldn't make it about that. And what was so beautiful about just enjoying the ride is when they called that we won, I just broke down, like mm-hmm. sobbing, like I was winning an Oscar mm-hmm. because it was something that I was just like, wow, I was just having an amazing time. I didn't need that as well. Does that yeah. make sense? Absolutely. So, you were so, you know, immersed in creating art. Yes. And that was where the passion was. That was where the fuel was. Everything else was a bonus. Yeah. And yeah. it keeps rewarding. So like at Filmapalooza, your film oh, screened there. Oh, gosh. That was Shorts, so it wild. Is I love it. Screening, so. I love Holly Shorts. Yeah, Holly Shorts, Filmapalooza, they've just all been really accepting film festivals. And I think if we all, what the 48s taught me, is if mm-hmm. we all can just, for 48 crazy hours, right, just enjoy it. Right. Because we are getting to do what we all love to do and what we all would love to do as a full-time profession, obviously. Yeah. And not uh, judge. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you do when you're, like, making a feature or you're, you know, we're right. so hard on ourselves. It's a weekend that I think if we can all just have fun, mm-hmm. create, challenge yourself still, mm-hmm. challenge yourself a bit, but, um, but just enjoy the ride. Excellent. Yeah, one of the things that Kirk said the first time I covered this last year Embrace the challenge. Yes. If you fight the challenge, if you fight like, it's not gonna be oh, fun. we have to put in this line of dog. We have to do this. Embrace it. Yeah. So, and speaking of awards, you have a lap full of awards. Well, no, not tonight. full. He's so don't you, you don't <laughs> let him exaggerate. I well, have I mean, this you have a you have a basket this is the, this holding is a them. Favorite. Yeah, I have this whole. I'm <laughs> right. covered with them, just garnished with. Mm-hmm. I have this is one of my favorites. I love that Kirk started doing mugs. Mm-hmm. So I have a Seattle 48 2017 audience favorite uh-huh. mug, which I thought was wonderful. This was our audience favorite that we won for our group. Mm-hmm. But then what you're talking about is then tonight he said. It's possible we would have got audience favorites favorite, mm-hmm. but some people only voted for us instead of three votes. Yeah. Which I think is so sweet. <laughs> and this is what I love. Um, for me, even if we've never won any other awards, mm-hmm. getting the audience award like that to me, when that night when we found out a couple of days later of our group, because I'm always, again, in awe of all the films we're with. Right. But that's why we do it. Mm-hmm. Right, is for the viewers. I yeah. love. I mean, trust me. I love my judges. I love these awards mm-hmm. that we could talk about from the judges. I love that. But that's one person. Yep. And so when you can, I'll get all emotional. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just think you know when you can touch or make people laugh or make people cry or make, freak people out, mm-hmm. uh, and you get the. I love. I love the audience favorite. That's always my. 
where I do my happy dance. Yeah. Um, and we got a honorable mention yes. <laughs> for best ensemble acting, mm-hmm. which I think probably the dogs really did <laughs> right. deserve the full-on ensemble. Uh, but no, I really appreciate this because not only were uh, was our dog in the film mm-hmm. and a couple of other amazing dogs, but two of our leading ladies were mm-hmm. Mighty Tripod students. Awesome. Full circle. And um, and Lowell, who mm-hmm. is one of our faves. He was a lead in our mm-hmm. film last year. One of my favorite shots of, of the film, which your husband, partner in crime, David S. Hogan, uh-huh. directed... The last shot, mm-hmm. all it is is the dog like staring off, and then he gives one little look to the camera. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Like it was just it was perfect. That's on our fur cue. baby. That's Bruno. Yeah. So shout out to Bruno if you're listening, honey. I'm coming home soon. Right. Um. He he's such a good set dog. We bring him to class with us. He's a little Karen Terrier for those of you listening. Mm-hmm. And he uh, this was his first leading role. Oh, wow. He's had many cameos. So he has his SAG card now. And he right. does. Yeah. yeah, he has many agents and managers. Wait, you would you would probably know this. Do animals get SAG cards? They what do can. They, get? they, they can? actually can go union. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not he's not union yet. Oh, okay. Not well. yet. But yeah. No, he I agree. The uh, the last take to the camera by our dog was um that was pretty money. I yeah. loved it. <laughs> it was awesome. So moving on to your next award. Uh, this is all about Sir Brendan Patrick Hogan, mm-hmm. who uh, best musical score for the fourth time. Uh, gosh, Third it time? might be more. No, it might be five. Um, because it's this. Uh, the one that stands out by far that he did for us was when we pulled silent film. Which, of course, that's all score then. Yeah. And it was Mm -hmm. Carmageddon and Mm. uh, just a great, twisted, cool piece. And uh, and he just scored it beautifully. It's available. I think we have it up on our website. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they're all up on our website if you guys want to see him. But he's just so amazing. And he does a lot of theater here locally for the big equity houses here. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is the husband uh, of a actress uh, who Dave and I both worked with. And we reached out to him just thinking, maybe, you know. Our other Hogan mm-hmm. wants to, you know, team up, and and he said yes the first time, and he keeps saying yes. Awesome. So we're hoping, and it, and it keeps working out. He does, yeah, he's incredible great. work. We're really hoping to uh, bring him on board of a feature that we're producing later this year. Okay, which will be exciting. Absolutely. Uh, the, and this is my audience favorite mm-hmm. for our screening group. So audience favorite, best score, and honorable mention for best ensemble, best ensemble. acting. Fantastic. I'll take it. I'll take it. Absolutely. Uh, and you earned all of them. So congratulations. Where can people find you on social media? Where can people find out the most up-to-date information on Mighty Tripod? Yeah. Uh, Mighty Tripod, MightyTripod.com. Mm-hmm. Also on the Facebooks, also on the Twitter. Right. Same thing, at Mighty Tripod. For me, I'm on Twitter. Follow me, tweet, tweet. Mm-hmm. And that's at the DeMarco Actor. The DeMarco Actor. <laughs> uh, and on the Instagram, that's Angel DeMarco. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I will link all of those in the show show notes below. I encourage people, especially listening to this in the local area, reach out to Angela, reach out to David, reach out to Mighty Tripod. If you want to start getting into this industry, they have classes that range all over the place. And yeah, just hit her up and be like, hey, I kind of just want to be on set to see what that is like. (laughs) Oh, no, we're going to have like hundreds of people show up. Hi, John sent us. I I am flattered that you would think just that your set is now mobbed with people. (laughs) 
So thank you, Angela, for taking the time. Thank you. We tried you. to do this last year. I know. Uh, you are an incredibly busy woman. And as Kirk and I talked about earlier, women in Washington in the film industry, they run it. So, right on. Congratulations again for all of your awards. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. Hashtag women in film. Boom. <laughs> So thank you again to Kirk and Angela for taking the time to do those interviews. I did them kind of on the spot uh, because in festivals like this and film projects, whenever interviews present themselves, you have to be present for those opportunities. Even if it was like, hey, Kirk, uh, we should schedule a time. And he was like, I have time now. That means we did it right then. (laughs) So uh, in general, one of my philosophies in life is make yourself present for opportunities because you never know what could happen. So in a situation like this, even though I was there, uh, I was going to be there anyway and talking to people, uh, I wanted to make sure to, you know, get that done. So a little bit about the 48-hour film project that you also just heard if you listen to those interviews. So the 48-hour film project is a global phenomenon. This happens in so many cities, so many states, and so many countries around the world the seattle edition was great it was a little bit smaller as far as number of entrants as it has been in years past but just like in years past i am continued i'm continually blown away by the amount of dedication it takes to create a film in 48 hours oh yeah it's a it's an arduous process it's uh it's very stressful and it's a lot of fun, though. Let, let mm-hmm. me say that. It's a lot of fun, but it's also very stressful. You have, you have a profound appreciation for what it takes to actually do a five- to seven-minute film in a weekend, basically. Seriously. And that is one of the reasons why I wanted to have Damien on this podcast, not only because I am in the aforementioned great state of Texas. Oh, yeah. Seriously, they, they make eyes at me anytime I do not put that qualifier <laughs> in there. Uh, is because Damien is not only the host and producer of a number of podcasts. Uh, big shout out, of course, to the Curly Nerd podcast with our fantastic friend, Jess O'Brien. She's not here, but she had words to say about Texas, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens if there is another episode of the Curly Nerd podcast after this. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> in, in my best Dragon Ball Z voice. Drama! Yeah. Uh, and then also uh, the new podcast, From Houston with Love, mm-hmm. which is on All Real Radio, on Mondays, right? That's right. Monday nights, uh, 9 to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time. Excellent. So shout out to Kashmir Don and D-Ray yep. for that show. It is hilarious. I've been a listener since episode one. Yes. Uh, not only is it just great to hear these guys who have known each other for 20 years, some of them even longer than that, yep. uh, just talk about Houston and the cultural scene and the music scene but also the phenomenal music catalog that you guys have access to yes. for the rappersiknow.com uh, website. Absolutely. So, but yeah, Damien has also, on top of those accolades, he has made films, he has been in films, he has shot music <laughs> videos. <laughs> you, you make it sound a lot more impressive than it really is. I mean, your IMDb page is massive, uh, right? Let me, I, I actually need to... Uh, like reset my password to it. I have not logged into it for many, many years. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's 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 fun. You you you're very gracious with your with your description of what I do. Yeah, you I, know. I refer to myself as an aspiring filmmaker. Okay. Uh, I I do. Over the years, I have done quite a few music videos, mm-hmm. probably five or six hundred. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. It, I like, you cannot just gloss over five or six hundred music videos. Yeah. Not all of them good. But well, I, okay. I would say I would say about two hundred of them are, are, are probably good. The other the other two thirds of it was a, a pretty steep learning curve. Okay. Um, recently have uh, or am part of a couple of short films mm-hmm. that are that are in progress, which we'll probably talk a little bit about later. Yeah. And uh, I have been a participant, so to speak, in the forty eight film hour project mm-hmm. before. Uh, more of a, a consulting role. I, I've I've spent two hours of the twenty of the forty eight <laughs> hours on the project, mainly okay. because of time constraints. But that's why I say it's it's. I don't know if the parameters are the same in Seattle as they are everywhere else. Uh, they, are you familiar with the parameters that they give them? Yeah. So you basically, you cannot come up with anything pre-planned. You cannot use any right. stock footage. Uh, it has to. Everything has to be shot, produced, written during that forty eight hours. If they find out that you have broken those rules then i mean there are there are regulations in place to, to kind of keep everyone honest because if you go in there that 48 and you have two hours of stock footage that you just you can just cut and paste yeah. in there it is it is disrespectful to everybody involved right. so yeah so those parameters and then each city gets different uh criteria right so like you heard uh kirk and i just talk about this year in seattle the character had mm-hmm. to be Anders or Andrea Sandstrom. Right. The prop had to be a hairbrush. Mm-hmm. And the line of dialogue had to be, you should get that looked at. Yep. So in some way, shape, or form, all three of those things have to be in there for it to qualify, you know, for this for this project. And again, as, as Damon and I both know, because <laughs> uh, we have watched not only this year's uh, crop of entries, but in years past as well. Right. Sometimes you get filmmakers, and I totally understand, who all they are doing is showing the prop once. Right. Just to say, hey, we did it. We followed the rules. Here's our film. Please don't get mad at us. Right. <laughs> Which is fine. Other, uh, other filmmakers take it a lot more seriously, and they come up with really unique and creative ways to incorporate those three mandatory things. Yes. And it's, um, and like, like you said, each CD has uh, certain criteria. So the, the basis is... They always give you the name of a character that you have mm-hmm. to use, a prop, and a line of dialogue. I, I can't remember what they use in years past on the ones that I kind of consulted on, but that that's always that that actually serves two purposes. First of all, it more or less ensures that if someone does it creatively, that they they have actually written and and filmed and edited everything within that forty eight hour exactly. period. Exactly. Yep. Uh, sometimes if someone just shows a prop once. You kind of, you know, all right, they, they probably had an idea beforehand. They just wanted to show the prop mm-hmm. to, to basically meet that qualification and then move on. Um, but it also makes the films very interesting. Absolutely. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about watching this year's crop is without even knowing what the qualifications were ahead of time, because I don't even think you sent those to me. Yeah, I probably I, forgot to. <laughs> I was able to identify mm-hmm. that every story had a character named Anders. Um, every story... I didn't necessarily equate brush, but I thought every 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 film had to have someone brushing hair in okay, some way. Yeah. Uh, the line of dialogue I couldn't I couldn't catch until you mentioned it just now, but then I realized, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone's hit. You should get that looked at. Yep. <laughs> and it's kind of cool to see how people do that, and 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 seeing how many different genres of stories come out of those three things. Mm-hmm. It's really neat. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is, again, it speaks to the creativity, it speaks to the ingenuity of all these filmmakers. Because you can go into this weekend thinking, all right, guys, this is my idea for this story. I was thinking this and this. And not only do you have those three criteria that you have to do, but you randomly are chosen, or you have to choose a genre. Right. So again, if Damien and I had this great idea, we're like, oh, we're going to make a really funny story about this and this, and we pull horror, yeah, or we pull silent film, you know, like Angela mentioned earlier, that changes your whole setup. Right. So again, it forces people into that creative mindset. Yep. And one of the things that, that we have said more than once, you have to just embrace the challenge. Absolutely. If you, if you go into it upset that you are not going to be able to tell the story that you thought you were going to be able to, you're going to be fighting against it that entire weekend. Right. As opposed to just being like, all right, uh, we drew sports film, and here we go. And, and more, more than anything, uh, I've learned, just do it. Mm-hmm. Don't put any pressure on yourself. It's actually meant to be a lot of fun, and it really yeah. is a lot of fun. And I would say in more cases, this is just really advice for anyone that does it in the future. Just go whatever your mind, your first mind tells you. Yep. Just do it and then just start writing and shooting. And you'll be surprised to see um, what you come up with. Uh, the last time my friends from San Antonio, believe it or not, did mm-hmm. it, they, um, their, their particular production house specialized in comedy. Okay. They made comedic short films. Uh, the genre that they chose that year was horror. And uh-huh. they had no idea how to do it. So it was fun for them to challenge themselves to make a non-comedic horror film. They they mm-hmm. could have easily done a comedy horror film, but of they course. said, "You know what? We're going to make we're going to make a non-comedic horror film and really challenge ourselves to do it and have fun doing it." I, I can't remember how they placed that year, but I think personally they had a, a pretty profound sense of, of self-satisfaction because they were like, "We actually did something that's outside of our normal mode of mm-hmm. business, and it actually it actually enhanced what we can do." Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, the other thing that I should mention, that I should have mentioned off the top of the uh, the episode, so not only uh, am I in San Antonio, you know, visiting Damien, among other things, out here, uh, but we are recording, <laughs> this is the first time oh. I have ever recorded outside. Really? It is. Oh, man, you should do it more often. Um, hmm. Recording outside in Seattle? I might be able to do that. If I had to record all the time outside in San Antonio... <laughs> Uh, pretty sure all of my equipment would melt. I would melt. Uh, it is a bit warm here in San Antonio, but we are in the shade. Yeah. Uh, we are the very nice uh, staff at this restaurant where we just ate lunch. Um, Vegeta- a vegetarian lunch. A that. vegetarian lunch, uh, which Damien of, loved. In the heart of Texas. This is literally the heart of Texas. Yeah. And I am nowhere close to a steakhouse right now. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you say steakhouse, uh, they charge an extra $5 to my card inside. <laughs> so if you could not do that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so this great restaurant. I will actually tag. I will take some pictures and put them on social media because uh, we were trying to find a place to record. And I was like, they have a patio. Ah, but I'd just go ask them. So big shout out to them. Uh, the restaurant is called uh, Veggie. Viva uh, Vigari. Yeah, Viva, Viva Vigaria. Something like that. So but yeah, the food is good. They let us uh, use their space, and they let us be creative in their space, space, which ties back into the creativity involved in the 48-hour film project. Absolutely. So, now that we kind of set the stage for this competition, which 
Some people look at it as competition. Quick uh, question, yes. as an aside, before you do that. Uh-huh. Does it feel weird that we're like sitting at a table with sunglasses on looking at each other? <laughs> this feels like an interrogation. Kind of, kind of does. <laughs> we just need one swinging lamp yeah. <laughs> above us. You know what you did, right? Uh, that is pretty funny. We're recording outside at this great <laughs> restaurant, and uh, now that now that we went into that groundwork, uh, <laughs> and yes, Damien and I are wearing sunglasses because it is outside. Yeah. Uh, we're each going to give our top three from this year's selection of the Seattle. 48-hour film project. I do not want people to get confused and be like, but John, you're in San Antonio. Yeah, I get it. Maybe at some point, if a San Antonio City producer is listening to this podcast, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and yeah, I would love to cover your event as well. Absolutely. But we will each give our top three favorites from this year's Seattle uh, 48-hour film project. And then, yeah, just kind of give our thoughts about those. As the guest... Mr. D. Randall. Oh, man. Uh, your number three, because we'll go in ascending order. All your right. number three choice for the best of Seattle 24-hour, 48-hour film project. All right. My number three choice is Refuge. Really? Bad Cat Films. Yes. Interesting. Um, this one was interesting because unlike the other ones, this one felt more like a... This felt more like a single take episode. I, I'm, I'm, yep. a, I'm a sucker for for long single takes, mm-hmm. and this one pretty much just felt it, it fell right into that little fetish for me. I, I loved it. Uh, are we allowed to give a summary? Yeah, we can give a summary. And that is okay. the other thing is if you go on, I believe it is 48hourfilm.com/seattle, or I will put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, some of these you can find on on the website, mm-hmm. and some of these you might just be able to reach out to some of the people involved. Uh, and see if you can get a copy of the film if it is not either on their own website or on the Seattle 48-hour film project site. So we can give a summary, but we'll not go into like deep spoilers in these seven-minute films. Okay, yeah, <laughs> spoilers take longer <laughs> than the, the actual film itself. <laughs> Which that is one of the things. The other stipulation uh, mm-hmm. with this competition is that your film cannot exceed, I believe it is seven minutes, and you can include right. one minute of credits. Right. So. That in and of itself, it's tough to do. Is tough. It's very tough. So, but with refuge, with refuge, uh, refuge essentially takes place in what we believe to be a bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. There's a gentleman at the beginning of the the uh, the film who apparently has been in there for a while, playing with a cigarette lighter. We mm-hmm. don't really know what's happening at first, but we just see him in isolation. Uh, then we see a group of a small group of three people come in afterwards, and they're covered in dust and ash, and they've been injured somehow. And we hear a rumble from above, mm-hmm. and we notice very quickly that it is some type of bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. And just with with limited dialogue, and, and and again, not a lot of edits, kind of a straight shot, we immediately get to sense that there is some type of class structure right. present. You you have someone, you have basically three classes of people, so to speak, in this confined space, all a victim of the same situation going on above. And they're forced to silently realize kind of their position and trying to determine who's responsible or who's to blame for what's going on mm-hmm. above. Um, and it, but it's, it's kind of weird to me in that, again, it's, it's a seven-minute clip. There's a lot that's open to interpretation. Yes. And I was allowed to make my own interpretation of it, and it's basically like 
um, you know, when all of us are facing the same type of disastrous situation, whatever you want to call it, we're all equals. We're all uh, we're all in the same place. And all we really have ourselves and each other. Yep. And it was, you know, I, I could tell that it was a film that probably if taken to a feature length, it could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But it was really one of those films. The reason that I liked it was because it was very minimalist and it it left a lot open to your own interpretation of what it was. I'm pretty yep. sure 10 other people who saw it got a different interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. But that was just kind of mine. Like once you once you kind of reach the end of the line. Everyone, you only have each other. <laughs> you only have each other, quite literally. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, yeah, Refuse. That was my that was my number three spot. Excellent. Uh, my number three, I was in the <laughs> romance genre, mm. uh, and it was called Stalker. <laughs> so, <laughs> Stalker. Okay, so the the framework for this one is it is this kind of documentary documentary style. Uh, they're talking to this girl named uh, Andrea mm-hmm. Sandstrom, shocking, uh, who's a tour guide. Yep. And she is talking about this person who she has been stalking for uh, 113 days, 23 hours, and 43 seconds. <laughs> and so she just goes into it, and this, this crew is following her around as she stalks this girl that she is absolutely infatuated with. Right. The levity of this character, as she's just <laughs> joyful about it. She was like, "Oh, she's so pretty," and blah blah. Like, you would think nothing of it. And then they were like, "Whoa! So when did you guys meet?" She was like, "Oh, oh, I've, I've never met her. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 why would I do that? But I practice a lot. Yeah. It's like the actress in this film. Uh, so it's called Stalker. The team name was Reality Just Ahead. Yeah. The actress in this was. Great, because she was able to deliver that kind of cheerful fanaticism um, about this girl that she is stalking and has been stalking for quite a while. Um, It just everything kind of fit together. Yeah, kind of a a funny single white female vibe to it. Yes, absolutely. But it was really funny as well. Yes. Because you can tell this documentary crew can tell that this girl is kind of crazy. Right. Uh, but they are here to kind of <laughs> tell her story. Uh, at one point, you see them kind of like sneaking over to the girl's house. And she has this huge elaborate plan. She was like, I think I should go in through the roof, blah, blah. And she goes to, like the side window. And the guy was like, uh, the, the front door was unlocked. Do you want me just to <laughs> let you <Yeah>. in? <laughs> so it, just, it was really well acted, uh, well scripted. Also, again, in like a six-minute film, it had an arc. Uh, it had it had it had like a definite beginning, middle, and end to it, mm-hmm. which it was that that that's one of the things that's most difficult in a project like this is coming up with a complete story. That first of all, coming up with a complete story and then being able to condense it to a six minute running time. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and not only in that six minute runtime of having a beginning, middle, and end, having a huge twist. Right, like this one does, nailed it. So that that is my number three, uh, Stalker by Reality Just Ahead, uh, and yeah, it was in the romance <laughs> genre, and and I, if it, I think it works. There, I mean, there's a spectrum of romance, right? <laughs> it very much is. Sometimes your your romantic interest doesn't know that you exist. That's you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the spectrum. We'll yeah. take it. 
So your number two film. My number two film was... <sighs> this one was a tough one. Um, it was Strands by Creative Collective. Wow, you are pulling out some surprises. Yeah, I, like I, it. I know. Now, here's the thing about Strands. Strands, for me, I liked it because of... And this is this is a complete cop-out answer. I'm mm-hmm. going to let you know right off hand. I like Strands because of the premise that it presents at the end of the story. Okay. So it's very much like um like stalker um there's there's someone there's the lead character whose name is uh anders 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 sandstrom he's <laughs> i should know that right um he's uh he's guess i guess kind of like an uber driver mm-hmm. and you can tell that something is a little off with him yeah and he he picks up a passenger uh a young female passenger and I immediately knew that, okay, this dude has to be some kind of a stalker or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with him. Something creepy. Yeah. Um, and he kind of predictably um, puts her in a compromising situation. Um, mm-hmm. A pretty intense, like, when this is one where I was watching, yeah. and I was like, this, like, it was, it was one of those things that was making you a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, as it was going on. Right. And I, I, it was one of those, like, normally I would turn something like that off. And I was uh-huh. like, this is actually intriguing. And I only have to watch it for seven minutes. I want <laughs> right. to see where this goes. Yeah. Because, again, I kind of, like, I, I know this guy's obviously a stalker. He's up to something. But I want to see where this goes. Uh, he, he takes her to some CD motel room and mm-hmm. does kind of the predictable, I'm going to play with your hair and take Polaroids of you. And, you know, something's going to happen to you. The part that hooked me, though. Is that she escapes? She runs into the street, mm-hmm. pulls out her cell phone, and her Uber tab is still running. Mm-hmm. And it's like at three hundred and seventy-eight dollars <laughs> or something like that. And then the car lights up behind her, and then it stops. Cuts. I'm like, I want to know what happens <laughs> next. I never thought about that. Like, what happens if you get abducted by an Uber driver and you escape, but you're still being charged for the trip? Mm-hmm. That sets up, like, in my mind, a phenomenal B movie <laughs> yeah. in the making. This is like the the not as good version of Get Out. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, you know, but I was like, that is so. That's that was insane to me. Like, mm-hmm. not only does she escape, but the one thing that catches her attention is like, yo, I'm still being charged for this, mm-hmm. and the tab is still running. By the way, the car is still right there. That last shot where she she's standing there, she looks at her phone. She's like, what the? Yeah. And then it cuts to a like a short a mid-range shot. Yeah. And you see the headlights turn on literally five feet behind her. Right. That was great. I wanted to see the next five minutes of it. Yeah. And that, I will say, and again, this is the reason why I chose it. That is the type of film and the type of editing that would make someone from a production house or a studio actually go, you know what? I like what you guys set up there. We'd like mm-hmm. to see more. Yep. And it, it definitely hooked me. If I was in a position to offer them that, I would have been like, hey, guys, let's take a meeting. I want to see what the next five minutes of this film would look yeah. like. Let's let's flesh it out. So I, I thought it I thought it set up something really dope. Nice. I like it. Good pull. Yeah. Uh, my number two film uh, is in the fable category mm-hmm. or genre. Uh, and it is Andrea and the Tree <laughs> by Wandering Goat. <laughs> uh, that one... <laughs> I, before you begin it, to, uh-huh. I actually had to watch that one twice. Yep, 
So did I. I had no idea what I watched the first time that I watched it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go ahead. So Andrew and the Tree uh, takes three kind of uh, camp counselors slash maybe forest ranger uh, tour guides, kind of. And one of them, it is this character. His name is Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> they chose to go with Andrea Sandstrom, knowing that that would be a narrative device, knowing that that would be something that they could play off of. So uh, we get introduced to him, and of these three uh, tour guides, we will say, Andrea is always getting made fun of by like the bully and his henchman, right. who in this case was a henchwoman, yeah. who all of us have known those people, both in real life and in fiction. Right. Where you have the one who is the bully, the tough guy, and the person behind them who's just laughing at everything they do. So the story of this one, you know, Andrea Sandstrom is always getting picked on uh, and he not accidentally stabs a fork (laughs) in a tree. He purposely stabs a fork into a tree. That tree then starts talking. Yes. And it goes from there and he is like, he's like, oh, I'm going to get back at them and this will show them. So, I mean, again, in a six minute film, it is hard to give too much away without spoiling it. But that is his idea, was that right. he wants to then use this tree that he now found out can talk to his advantage. Yeah. This was amazing. <laughs> this was, <It> was <laughs> one of the most well shot yes. that I have actually seen in the 48-hour film project. Right. It was all done outside, yep. beautiful sunny sky, uh, in some forest in and around, in or around Seattle. Right. But it just, it looked gorgeous. And balancing lights and shadows when you are in a forest... Very tough. ...is hard. Very tough. So what they were able to do in this forest scene, and everything was sharp. There was not Mm -hmm. a frame of this film that was out of focus or that did not really fit, you know, within this. Right. But not only that, the voiceover that they have of the person doing the tree... I mean, it was a good old... The comedic timing, because when you do voiceover work... Either you have to have somebody on set doing those lines so right. that the characters can react to them in real time, or you do it in post or something. However they did it, it was seamless. Because the characters that are reacting to it as it is going on, right. it was perfect. It was perfect. It was, uh, it was, it was really good. Um, not to jump ahead, mm-hmm. that, was, that was originally going to be my number one. Ooh. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna piggyback and say that, um, yeah, that one I think didn't that one win best in show? No, no, no. it did not. It, it won best. It won a, a, quite a few yeah, awards that few. night. Well, there was one that, that jumped. It won third place overall mm-hmm. and a uh, best writing. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it was the most well written one. It was it was a very original concept. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, the comedic timing was perfect, and I thought the exact same thing that you did within 48 hours to get all of that down and to get the timing, um, I, whether they did ADR or recorded that that audio on set of mm-hmm. the tree, that's very difficult to do, and, yeah. they, and they pulled it off. And I think from a technical standpoint, as an aspiring filmmaker myself, <laughs> I, was, I was most impressed by that one Yeah, um, because because of everything that they were able to accomplish in in 48 hours. Yeah, and just and the acting was consistent. Yeah. The whole time. Yep. So, yeah, uh, that one really really impressed me. So that was my number 2, Andrea and the Tree, 
by Wandering Goat in the Fable genre. So now, to your number one pick, which we just heard, yeah. could very well have been this, but for whatever reason, it got booted for your number one film, which is... <sighs> the, t- the tension is palpable. This is this is this is this was a tough one, um, okay. because I also really liked the Courier, okay, as well. Um, <laughs> this is this is kind of funny, for a lot of the same reasons that that we liked uh, Andrea and the Tree. Mm-hmm. Again, from a technical standpoint, like you said, it's very difficult to shoot outside. Yes, very difficult, very difficult to shoot in the forest. Uh, like this one took place in the forest as well with all the lights and shadows and, and the changing position of the sun throughout mm-hmm. the day. There were a lot of things that they did technically, I think that were comparable to what was done with Andrea and the tree. Um, now this one was about, it was a, a story about two guys who were apparently transporting something mm-hmm. uh, from one place to another. And they were being pursued by a group of masked men. And one of the guys apparently steps on a landmine and cannot lift his foot because mm-hmm. if he does, it will explode. Um, he tells a younger guy to go on ahead. Things happen. The masked guys catch up with him. Um, the younger guy keeps going towards his destination. And then we're kind of left with a cliffhanger mm-hmm. at the end of it. So the reasons that I really liked it, again, from a technical aspect, a lot of the things that I liked about Andrea and the Tree, even though they were a different genre, mm-hmm. I really liked about it from a technical aspect. Yeah. From a, a story writing aspect, I liked the same thing about it that I liked about uh, Strands, in mm-hmm. that it leaves you in a position where you want to see the Absolutely. next five minutes. And I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a cheat because we just applauded. We just applauded <laughs> one story for having a beginning, beginning middle, middle, and an end, <laughs> which, again... That is that is phenomenal. I, I would put that above anything, but I also am a sucker for for what's left to the imagination. Right, and that's to me that's what do the next five minutes look like? Because now you got me hooked. Mm-hmm. So that one could have been my number one. Um, Andrea in the tree is my true number one. Mm-hmm. Courier could have been number one. Uh huh. And um, I liked it. I, I liked the tone that it said. It, it had a suspenseful tone. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's easy to do if you're if you're in a movie that features pursuit mm-hmm. is dragging out the pursuit. Yeah. And thankfully, because of time limitations, maybe <laughs> they didn't have that luxury of dragging mm-hmm. out the pursuit. So it was it the the speed in which they had to do the edits actually contributed to the tension that was present in it. Mm-hmm. So that's Courier. Nice. I like it. Uh, my number one film mm-hmm. of the 48 hour Seattle 48-hour film project Seattle Leg is in the sports film oh. genre, mm-hmm. and it is Koob by that uh. guy with the beard films, <laughs> which is in no relation to me, that yeah, guy named John. I was going to ask if you guys were related. Uh, so it is called Koob. <laughs> <laughs> this film took the thirty for th- ESPN 30 for 30 style it, yeah. narrative and took it into this fictional game called Coop, Coop. that has this history dating back to like the 1920s. To the 20s or something like that. Uh, where Anders Sandstrom, who was a local t- tour guide, was working in a factory. And they used to take empty beer bottles and throw them onto midgets. 
uh, he developed this game where yeah. you have wood blocks that you toss across a field, <laughs> knock over someone else's block, and then they throw it back. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was out there. But this had some of the best editing. Yes. Because it really felt like a 30 for 30 special. Right. Everything from the, the archive, quote unquote, <laughs> archived clips of Anders Sandstrom talking about the game and handwriting letters, you know, to his wife, to then the clips of the sport, the way that they filmed it and shot it. Right. It really did look like a 30 for 30 special. Yes. Uh, they interviewed two different experts, one of which <laughs> was, you know, uh, a super fan, one of which was a, a Kube historian. Right. Uh, and he was just like... You know, and he has this British accent, of course, which makes it sound, you know, so much better. But he was like, you know, it is not a question of when baseball stopped becoming America's sport, but it never was. Coob was always like, <laughs> he just goes off on this fictional sport. Yeah. One of the best jokes uh, in this was when the super fan. Oh, no, I think it was the, the historian. The historian. When he, he talks about uh, the character whose name, uh, oh, I forgot to write him, write down the name. But he was like. And Coob was the first sport to have a POC rise to the level of champion. <laughs> and so all of us are like, what? It cuts to, the, to a, a guy, uh, a person of color, and he is playing, and he was a 2011 champion. But under his name, where it says his name, 2011 Coob champion, person of Canada. <laughs> yeah. it was just like, it was a super subtle joke. And he was like, yeah. I was born in Montreal. I moved to Olympia when I was two. I don't even speak French. <laughs> But it was just like, that was just such a clever twist. Yeah. An easy joke, but just the way that they played it off was amazing. Like, yeah. I just, I cracked up when I watched this at home yep. on the screener. When I saw it at the best of uh, the other night, everybody was laughing in the theater. Yes. Because, again, it was just like a POC person of Canada nailed it. One thing about uh, filmmaking, I've always found that the most difficult genre mm-hmm. To, to film is the documentary genre. Okay. It's very difficult because you normally have to do a considerable amount of research yeah. before you even start filming because you need to know what it is that you're trying to capture. Mm-hmm. A mockumentary might be even more <laughs> difficult yep. because you have to make up make the history up. before you start filming. So I could tell that with this film, they did a considerable amount of brainstorming and mm-hmm. writing before they even started filming. And it definitely paid off in the execution. I'm kind of mad at myself for not picking this one <laughs> in my top three. You should now. be because it it's it was one of the most difficult to execute because they had especially when they started speaking from an historical perspective mm-hmm. and offering archival footage. Like you have to write all of that, yeah. and you have to have a story outside of the story in order to make it work on screen. And they they definitely did that. That's again, that's that's a, a clip that probably could have easily taken two or three weeks mm-hmm. in terms of production and the fact that they did it in 48 hours is is almost unbelievable it's crazy and not only so it would be one thing if it were a mockumentary you know 30 for 30 but yeah. just like all of the good 30 for 30s which i mean granted 99 percent of them are amazing yes if people listening have not watched espn 30 for 30 specials there are a ton go in find one of something you find interesting and yep. they're incredible all of them but the great ones always have kind of the good guy bad guy type of situation yes because you have to have a villain in any type of story so in this one you have the the arrogant uh spaniard champion <laughs> uh and then this, as most most spaniards are maybe man maybe <laughs> you have this arrogant champion and then uh this young american woman 
who it basically is that battle of the sexes, Billie Jean King yeah. type of situation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The two of them are incredible. Uh, they, both they, in their individual interview segments and yes. then when they are on the field during competition. <laughs> I mean, again, like I, I can say it over and over again, but it just it felt real. It, they they definitely cast them well, and there was there was a again in something that was done in this short. It's hard to recreate chemistry like that. Yeah. So they definitely did a good job of pairing them together because you can't. It's very difficult to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Once again. Yeah. So Coob gets my number one spot for the Forty Eight Hour Film Project Seattle, and Damien's is Courier. Yep. Even though he kind of wanted to steal my number two, and it's he kind of wanted to steal my number I, one. I just wanted to steal all your picks, man. <laughs> so, well, I'm good. Uh, my honorable mention. And actually, we, we each have an honorable mention. Okay. Uh, Damien, do you want to go first with your honorable mention? Sure. Um, mine, and this is this might this might take away all my gangster points. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Rendezvous Dogs. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. By VHS Holdouts. Uh huh. Um, Rendezvous Dogs, to me. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler it, alert: Damien is a huge dog person. I have, I have eleven dogs. Eleven. I'm, I'm down to that eleven is, now. That is not. Uh, you did not hear that incorrectly. Eleven dogs. Down from eighteen a few oh my years gosh. ago. Uh, uh, my wife and I rescue dogs, and you do, and you do and, great and, work. And sometimes we don't spay and neuter them in time and they multiply <laughs> but it's okay we, we love them all we keep them all and we like dags mm-hmm. i like dags okay you know so really so this, oh, this film the honorable mention uh the honorable mention is uh rendezvous dogs <laughs> i didn't understand what was going on at first when it started mm-hmm. i thought it was going to be a story about a missing cat right or a missing dog and some very square-jawed gentleman mm-hmm. appears, and he's talking about some type of mission with somebody else, and they're talking about being ready for something. And it turns out that there, he meets, he has a dog. Mm-hmm. He starts walking the dog, meets up with another woman who's walking a dog as well. Mm-hmm. They meet she just kind of slides out of the bushes. Just kind of slides in. That was a great you know, way they that's did That's how that. it is when I walk my dogs, man. Somebody else just shows up, <laughs> like, "Hey, what's up?" Right. Uh, that person is usually my wife, mm-hmm. but and then they meet up with a third person mm-hmm. who has a dog with them as well, and they begin talking about the mission. The mission, <laughs> and you notice that these people are holding these dogs up, kind of weird. Like when I walk my dogs, my dogs just kind of stay on the ground on their leash. These people are holding the dogs, and mm-hmm. the dogs are facing each other. And you start hearing voices that aren't these people's voices, mm-hmm. and you realize that. These people are being controlled by the dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And some cat person, a woman who's looking for her missing cat, Mm -hmm. shows up. And they're basically like, we don't really play that around here. So beat it. (laughs) Cut to the end of the story. The story is actually being told to a little girl by a dog. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. And I, I wish my wife was at home when I was watching it because she would have loved it. I was like, imagine a world in which dogs controlled us. Mm-hmm. It, it really, it, it, I'm again, I'm a, I'm a dog lover. I've literally had dogs every day of my life since I was born. My parents got two German Shepherds the day that I was born, and I've never not had a dog since. Sheesh. So I was, I was suckered into this one. I don't, I don't even care 
whether it was good or bad. I was like, it has dogs, and dogs have taken over people. Mm-hmm. I like dogs more than people already. <laughs> right. This is a perfect world for me. Plus, it was a solid story. Oh, so it was a solid yeah. story as well. Yeah, I should I should add that. Mm-hmm. It was a solid story. And, again, going back to the technical aspect of mm-hmm. it, it is nearly impossible to get dogs to behave <laughs> on film. Mm-hmm. I have tried to include my dogs in film many times before. I have failed every single time. Yeah. So those kudos to those dogs yeah. for doing a bang-up job because mine, not one of those 11, <laughs> would have sat still <laughs> long enough to get a two-second clip. And this is something that I told uh, Angela in when, I, when her and I got a chance to sit down. The last speak, We have talked a lot about the last scenes in a lot of these short mm-hmm. films. The last scene in this... Where the dog looks to the camera. How do you do that? Like, gives it the side eye. And then it's like, cut. I was like, yo, <laughs> my dog's a whack. <laughs> I need another 12th dog. Oh, Well, if you take that 12th dog to Mighty Tripod Productions in Seattle, Washington. Oh, yeah? Take some acting classes through Angela. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And you, you might be able to get them on Union so they can get a SAG card. Which I just found out is a thing. It's time for my dogs to earn their keep. <laughs> Trust me. I know this through, free ride. I go through 100 pounds of dog food a week. It's oh time for gosh. someone to pay for that. That is a lot of dog food. It's a lot of dog. Okay. Food. Nice. Yes. All right. So that was your honorable mention. Uh, my honorable mention is uh, a film that is, I mean, it, it, it broke some records for the Seattle 48-hour film project. Oh. The title is The Toys Left Behind ah. by The Flames. The team made up of mostly nine-year-olds yeah. about, essentially, uh, a possessed doll. Yeah. <laughs> this was, I mean, in any other situation, if you saw this on like YouTube of just some kids playing around, you'd be like, oh, this is kind of funny. Then you realize this is a 48-hour film project. Right. Film. The kids were great. Yep. The effects for the doll... There's one scene where all four of the, the kids are sitting in a bedroom. Or I think the fourth kid had left at this point. Three of them are sitting there. They set the doll down next to the bed. They get distracted, start talking. And yes, you could probably tell the doll is picked up by like fishing line. Right. And like picked up and placed on the bed. And then they turn around. They're like, where's my doll? Why is it on the bed? You know, and so they just... Yeah. They nailed it. It was just really, really cute. It was funny. But then, at the end... Which uh, all of these seem to have great third act in six minutes. <laughs> yeah. In the end, it pays off. Yeah. And you get a scene that is actually kind of scary. Yes, yes. So, because they pulled horror. This team of nine year olds yeah. pulled the horror genre and and they earned that horror genre they, in that last like did. five seconds. Yes. So, I yeah. just, I have to give a huge shout out to them and not only them, their families who are so, so very involved right. in making this happen. Right. Like, it is a film that it deserves to be seen because this shows you, yes, you can have your help from your parents, your friends, whatever. Take 48 hours and create something. Right. And this is what it could be. It's, and that's, that's, a, that's another thing, um, especially with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, involve your kids with something like yes, this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I tried to, my, niece, my niece's interests change. She's 11. Her, her interests change every week. So it's right. difficult to do, but sometimes I will give her a project on Friday. Mm-hmm. Like I'll give her a camera and say, "Hey, just shoot photos of, just shoot photos of everything you do tomorrow, and show them to me on Sunday or something like that." Nice. 
and they eat it up and it it it, it stirs something in them mm-hmm. that that uh, really stirs the creative juices and it actually helps it helps them with things outside of creative ventures going forward. I don't want to get into into that whole thing, <laughs> um, but I did want to say that. This is going to sound problematic. I apologize ahead of time. Oh, here we go. This should be interesting. Not to compare children to dogs. <laughs> but Continue. Next, but next to dogs, mm-hmm. children are probably the second most difficult um, entities uh-huh. to to administer on a set. I believe that. Especially yeah. nine-year-olds because yeah. 48 hours is about 45 hours too long for them. <laughs> So they had to have done something to keep those kids interested for whatever amount of time mm-hmm. they did, because it's very difficult to keep them focused for any amount of time yep. whatsoever. And those kids, again, like you said, they they really did it. Mm-hmm. They they immersed themselves in it. It seemed like it, it's a video that could easily go viral on yeah. on YouTube if they yep. really wanted it to. But the kids really made the video. Um, I don't want to compare it to Stranger Things, but I just did. But it's that same kind of thing where you capture lightning in a bottle yeah. by really honing in these unstable elements, children, and making a horror film out of it mm-hmm. and making it enjoyable. Yeah. Good pick, man. Yeah. yeah I do it. I do it again. Yeah. Uh, so those are our honorable mentions. Uh, before we move on to the film review for Annabelle Creation, I do want to give a shout out to the team that won uh, mm-hmm. the Best in City for Seattle. The film was Unbearable uh, by Let's Dance Kitty Cat. Let's Dance Kitty Cat. <laughs> uh, and it basically is a unique version of Goldilocks and the Three <laughs> Bears. Uh, because it won Best in City, you can go on the website, 48 Hour Film slash Seattle. I will put it in the show notes. Right. Uh, and watch it. And I encourage you to watch it. It was really funny, really well done. They embraced the challenge of the 48 Hours in a unique way and in a smart way in that they chose one location. <laughs> it's this whole film takes place in one room and it makes sense. And right. not only, you know, maybe some people might use it, think of that as a cop out. It makes sense. It makes sense. In the context of the film, why they're only in this one room. Mm-hmm. So big shout out to them. So unbearable by let's dance kitty cat one, the best in city for Seattle so it will play at the Holly Shorts Film Festival. It will play at Filmapalooza. Oh. Uh, it gets an entry into a few different festivals. So big shout out to them. Good job, guys. Excellent. Uh, so now, leading into our new movie review, yeah. which my honorable mention, The Toys Left Behind, leads very <laughs> nicely into this movie. Ah, good segue. Uh, the new film in theaters now is Annabelle Creation. Yes. <laughs> now, Damien. Yes. Have you seen the the films of which these are kind of not kind of these are all tied together? So the Conjuring, yeah. Annabelle, the Conjuring, the Conjuring two. two. Yeah, have you seen those? I have. Yes. Okay. Um, funny story. Uh huh. My wife is really into horror films. Nice. She's into she's into what I call the jump scare horror films. Oh well, okay. She just did it. Yeah, she likes being scared. She likes she likes those little moments of quiet. And then loud sounds, Ow. and she likes jumping, and then she likes accidentally hitting me in my face, <laughs> and then me going, "You hit me in my face," and she goes, "I don't care." Quote unquote, accidentally, <laughs> accidentally. Quote unquote, there's a teacup. Quote unquote, get Damien out. <laughs> the joys of marriage. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, but 
I like a different type of horror. Okay. Usually, I usually like more cerebral thriller type horror. My wife is a very big jump scare fan. Okay. She's always watching it on TV. She she loves sci-fi, the sci-fi channel. She loves watching the thriller channel. Mm-hmm. So when I say that I've seen these three movies, I've seen these three movies because of her. Gotcha. While she's watching them. Um, so, yeah, I saw The Conjuring. And I, I was I was actually somewhat interested in The Conjuring mm-hmm. because growing up, I was kind of a fan of the, the Amityville horror. Yep. And knowing that this was tied into that, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll check it out. And I, I was like, for what it is, it's I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And... Um, and then after that, Annabelle, the first Annabelle, came out. Yeah. And we, my wife was watching that at home, and I, I, I felt some kind of way about it because I, I, I'm, I'm usually, I usually feel weird about inanimate objects mm-hmm. terrorizing people. Yeah. This goes all the way back to like the Brady Bunch with the the tiki wow. thing at the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, how is that thing? How is that thing like almost killing people and making people drown and all that? Mm-hmm. But there's a certain level of, of horror to it because yep. these are everyday objects. And, and to be honest, that doll looks scary. I wouldn't have that doll in my house now. Of course it does. <laughs> okay, and I think that is why these films are successful. Right. All of us, I do not care what generation you are from, every generation there is a new super creepy doll that right. hits the mainstream. Why? Right. Like they just, I mean, so growing up in our generation... We had the child's play right. movies with the Chucky doll, which was the my buddy right. doll. Before that, any any type of porcelain doll with those weird little click clack eyelashes weird to me. Ugh, like anything with eyes. Yeah, I just I don't I don't want your eyes that move. No, nah, I, I don't need that. <laughs> it, what's weird about like child's play? Child's play was actually creepier to me when Chucky didn't really move. Like that's the mm, part of it that really creeps me out. Once he started walking and talking, and yeah. I was like, "All right, it's, it's kind of a it's kind of slapsticky now." But Annabelle is just creepy to look at mm-hmm. because it's an inanimate doll, and I'm thinking if I were anybody anywhere buying a gift for my child, why would I buy that? Why? What yeah. can you do with that? Um. So, and I also felt like everything that happened to them they deserved because they shouldn't have gotten that creepy <laughs> right. doll to begin with. But it's uh, but it was it was interesting seeing how the two narratives tied into each other because the mm-hmm. same pair of researchers are basically observing these stories, right? And because Conjuring One did so well at the box office, mm-hmm. um, they went and did Conjuring Two. Yep, uh, which also did well at the box office mm-hmm. as well. The one thing about horror movies, people can say what they want about them; they will always make them because they are yep. super cheap mm-hmm. and they make a nice gross profit. It is amazing to me. Yeah. Of all the genres out there, horror continues to be the one right. where you can make it for $10 million, $20 million or less, and you will make three times your money. One like, of those movies, I can't remember which one, one of those movies had, yes, Annabelle. The first Annabelle had a $6.5 million production budget, mm-hmm. and it grossed $256. Many <laughs> crickets. <laughs> Based on an inanimate doll. That is insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, I mean, I have to give a shout out and credit uh, to uh, James Wan. Yes, absolutely. Who directed, you know, the first two Conjurings. I mean, James Wan. 
uh, trying to think if I want to make him this generation's Wes Craven. Because when you think about, so for those of you who do yeah. not know, so James Wan, little movies like Saw, yeah. Insidious, yeah. Conjuring, <laughs> he has had his hand in all of the most successful horror movies to come out in the past decade, almost yep. two decades. Because Saw came out in 04? 04, yeah. Like, so James Wan, you know, it, he, he knows what he is doing when it comes to this genre. I think it's fair to call him the re- the West Craven Craven of this generation. Well, I'm That's going fair. to trademark that, That's fair. Uh, and I'm going to write that down in my notes so I can tag him <laughs> in that. Uh, West Craven, yeah. Um, so with these Conjuring films, because I saw the first Conjuring, mm-hmm. did not see the first Annabelle, and only saw parts of Conjuring two. Okay. <laughs> the timeline of these. So here here's the order that they came out. All right. So the Conjuring was 2013. All right. A doll was introduced in that film mm-hmm. called Annabelle. So Annabelle came out in 2014. Right. The Conjuring 2 came out in 2016. Then Annabelle creation in 2017. Right. The actual order of these movies, <laughs> if we go one through four of The Conjuring, Annabelle, Conjuring 2, and Annabelle creation, the watching order is number four, Annabelle creation. Yes. Then number two, Annabelle. Uh-huh. Then number one, The Conjuring then number three, The Conjuring 2. Right. And they are now doing two more spinoffs about The Nun. Oh, no. And The Crooked Man. <laughs> so say what you will about hey. everybody getting so tight about, oh, they're just trying to do the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the only time this has worked. Right. Post-Marvel Cinematic Universe, when you have one person or maybe we'll say three people. Because I know that... um. Gary Doberman wrote some of these also, mm-hmm. and David Sanderberg, you know, if you have a small group of people saying, all right, here are our movies. Here is how they're going to connect. You can make it work. So often studios are like, all right, we're going to do 15 movies and no. 20 different directors. Why? Like, well, that just, that uh, is not how it works. The other, way, the other reason it works for them is because they're not out announcing, we're doing a shared universe of horror stories. Right. They're they're laying the groundwork. They're mm-hmm. laying Easter eggs in the movies. Yep. And they're saying, you know what? We're we're leaving room so that if the opportunity presents us, we can write something on this. Mm-hmm. And they they introduce it in a way where if the if the story ended with The Conjuring 2, for example, mm-hmm. you have a complete story. Yeah. But if you want to write a spinoff about a demon nun, guess what? You have enough interest in her now to mm-hmm. actually flesh out a story and and make it something. They've already proven that with Annabelle. Yeah. And Annabelle creation mm-hmm. will go on record as the linchpin for all these. Because in Annabelle creation, yeah. there's a picture. So, of course, one of the nuns who brings the, the women from the young girl's home to this foster house. She has this picture of her and some other sisters in uh, Rome. And the guy looks at it and he kind of tilts the frame a little bit. And the shadow of the picture is the nun. Hmm. That we have seen in the other movies. Yeah. So again, they they're really subtle about it, but this movie, Annabelle Creation, starts to tie all of them together. Ah. So the Crooked Man, which is kind of this weird creature and how it moves, is in this one. So it just everything is coming together. Yeah. That would only work if these films can stand alone. Right. And so far they do. So the Annabelle creation, since this one essentially is the first, who knows where the <laughs> nun and the crooked man are going to fit into this. Uh, but as of right now, as of recording, 
Annabelle Creation is the first one in this universe. So it has this group of girls ranging from probably 10 to 16 mm-hmm. who then go to this foster parents, not even foster house, just they never really go into it. Maybe it isn't one of the other movies that I have not seen of why these girls needed a new place to go and study. Uh, hmm. But they end up at the house of, of this man who he and his wife had a daughter a few years ago who died tragically. So they go to his house. Okay. Oh, did you find out if... if that, that is that is a throwback okay. to um, one of the Conjuring movies. Ah, okay. Yeah. So there we go. So it is connected in that way. Oh, actually, I take it back. That was... Uh, did you ever see Annabelle, the first one? No. Yeah, that was a throwback <laughs> to the first Annabelle. Sorry. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So they go to this guy's house. He is a doll maker, which is already creepy. <laughs> and because his workshop has a bunch of body parts hanging everywhere. Nope. I do not care if they're just doll body parts. Nope. Creepy. Nope. Creepy and unnecessary. So they go to his house, and it is not very long before weird things start happening. One of the things with this movie that I'm not sure why, in a horror film, especially these mid-to-low to mm-hmm. budget horror films, why do they need a cast of like 10 people? There is a group of girls. <laughs> there are six girls, I think. Three of which are necessary. The other ones are just dumb and do dumb stuff. They need they need a certain number of people just to kill off. I mean, and that is something that a good friend of, of ours and of this podcast, Tim Hall, the People's Critic, that is, I mean, in horror movies, he is okay with them having a large cast because yeah. you need the conceit is you need people to do dumb stuff. Right. So, I guess. So, you take this group of, of girls, they go in this house, weird stuff starts happening, in kind of the 1950s, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, around there. Because like, one of the girls was impressed that his house had a TV. <laughs> so I'm going to guess the 50s. Yeah. Um, the way this, this film perfectly crescendos. So it starts off, you know, kind of this tragic story of a family losing their daughter. The girls arrive to the house. Things are happy. Stuff starts mounting. Tension starts going up. They start finding different pieces to things. It crescendos into one of the most tense horror films I have seen in years. Really? And once it hits that peak, it never lets up. Oh, wow. So it just builds and builds and builds. It gets to the kind of the payoff where you finally start to realize what is happening. Yeah. And it keeps going. Wow. So that that was great, and I will definitely give it, give it credit for that. What bothered me about that <laughs> is it was confusing to me, maybe because I've not seen the other ones, or at least all of them. Right. At one point, you see some creepy stuff with the doll. Actually, a lot of stuff. You see creepy stuff with the doll, and it makes sense. Yeah. You start to see, and you start to see this creature manifesting yeah. throughout the movie. Uh, this demon. Yeah. So... You see him doing stuff in one part of the house, but then in the barn across the way, people are also getting terrorized, but the doll is still the conduit, and I was like, is there more than one demon? So it was a little bit confusing to me. Yes. So then this, this, is, this is where I'll say it, it would definitely, it definitely pays off for you to watch all the movies. Oh, all right. Because that, that, that does factor into okay. it. Okay. But- I can see how it would be confusing for someone that's just coming into viewing the franchise with this as a starting point. 
Yeah, because it was it was done really well. Because the stuff that was going on in the barn yeah. was super creepy, super intense. The stuff that was going on in the house, super creepy, super intense. But they were going on at the same time. Right. So I was like, that was just kind of odd. Um, watching movies like this that are just jump scare factories. Yeah. I encourage people to watch them in the theater. Absolutely. Because that way you get the visceral reaction by everybody in there. Right. Uh, shout out to <laughs> to our friend who Tim and I dragged to the movie, uh, Aaron. Oh, yes. I want to hear about this. Oh, man. So Aaron uh, Hunley of Flourish and Inkblots and Barbershop Show, who has been on, the episode, or been on a couple episodes now, hates horror movies, hates jump scares <laughs> in life, just hates jump scares. Right. So Tim and I, because we are good friends and good people. Of course. Who each had plus ones to this movie. We were like, <laughs> hey, Aaron, guess what movie you are seeing? Within the first 15 minutes, Aaron is curled up in her seat, Yo. like holding her knees, blanket, or not a blanket, like she had a sweater up to her face. It was incredible. Wow. Um, and there were multiple parts of this movie where she <laughs> almost jumped out of her seat. Yes. Uh, but it was incredible because, again, when you see it in the theater, you get that visceral reaction. Yes. And it adds to the experience. I think that might be why the other movies I'm not that connected with because I saw them either on TV. Right. Or something. Like, I never saw them in the theater. This one, seeing the theater, was was great. Yeah. Um, my, when my wife watches them, she always watches them in um, our our living room gets really dark mm-hmm. and she always watches them at night she'll turn off all the lights and she'll sit there in the room it's just the only light is coming from the tv oh and sometimes like if i'm in another room i can just hear her screaming ah! <laughs> from the other room I'm like this is this is great why are you doing this to yourself yeah, but <laughs> she gets a thrill out of it she loves it nice um did 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 aaron like come out of the theater with tears in her eyes or uh, she flushed? was <clears throat> how should i say visibly angry with Tim and I. <laughs> um, yeah, she she was not in a good place. Okay. Um, Did she enjoy the movie, though? I, I think so. <laughs> uh, you can check out her review uh, oh. on her website. I think she wrote one. I'm not sure if she wrote one for that or if she was, if she was too traumatized. <laughs> um, there, was, there were moments in this that were genuinely frightening. Did they have horses? No. Oh, man. If they, no. Game over for Aaron. No horses, no clowns. Huh? There's a scene in this movie where uh, one of the girls is hiding under the stairs, which, first of all, dumb. No, never. Dumb. So she goes under the stairs. She is looking out under the stairs, like, to the real, or to the, to the living room. Here's something behind her. Turns around, sees the doll, which is already creepy. Yep. And it is just blackness behind her. It cuts back to her. You see her kind of shaking. It cuts back to the doll. And from the darkness, you just see two eyes. Nope. Like two yellow eyes just come back, like start coming into the foreground and then pull the doll, like yank the doll away. That moment Yo. was one of the most intense moments I have seen in film in a long time. Yo. Like it was just, and all, and like it was that slow burn. Yeah. It was like you just, see, and at first, and, and it got me. It absolutely got me because everyone in the theater is like, is that something behind her? Oh, snap. And it was already too late. Yeah. Before your brain had the chance to realize, I should not be looking so intently into this darkness <laughs> right now. And it just gets pulled away. The scenes in which you see the doll and the demon, mm-hmm. I guess, interact 
are just genuinely creepy yes. and weird. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the jump scares, you can have a horror film that is all jump scares, and it can be dumb. Right. These ones, it pays off because of that mounting tension. Yes, I love it. So, yeah, that was really great. Um, you just again, sold me on it. Yeah, no, thank you. The, the cast was a bit too big. For when it comes on cable. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I... I encourage people to go and see this if you are a fan of horror. If you are not, this is not the movie for you because oh, this yeah. one was super, super creepy. I, I mean, I like horror movies. I would not say that I'm a huge horror buff, but I, I can see why this movie is getting a lot of critical praise. Right. It sets stuff up. It lays the groundwork. So uh, to the official rating system mm. of this podcast, which, of course, we did not do for the 48-hour film project because that is a... Separate entity. Yeah. They have 48 hours. Uh, the, the rating system for this podcast. Three choices. Good, bad, or ugly. A good film, you should rush out to the theater based on my recommendation and see it right away. Mm-hmm. A bad recommendation is something that was all right, but you could easily wait for it on Netflix or video on demand. Uh, and an ugly, avoid at all costs. <laughs> Annabelle Creation, 2017. Even though I'm not a big fan of the genre, this gets an absolute good. It was oh, yeah. it was terrifying. And it was terrifying in unique ways because the misdirect from the doll, so many like using the doll as a prop to set up the jump scare yes. and not have it be the doll itself was incredibly well done. Yes. So yeah. So that, that was my review for, for Annabelle a Creation. Uh, and that about wraps it up. What I am anxious to do is possibly get back inside where there is air conditioning. <laughs> uh, because this San Antonio heat is no joke. Oh, man. Come on, man. We're in the, we're in the shade. This is nature's AC. Ugh. <laughs> uh, but before we go, yep. Damien, what are some... I mentioned them at the top of the show, but what are some of your current projects and other things that you are working on? Thanks for asking, yeah. John. Uh, no, just kidding. And now uh, to Damien with so sports. <laughs> um. So, of course, uh, there's a Curly Nerd podcast with mm-hmm. my, my good friend Jessica O'Brien. Shout out. And I, it's a weekly podcast where we cover geek stuff from a Blurred's perspective, mm-hmm. TV, comics, and movies, and some, uh, some irreverent commentary, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Uh, but that's every, every week, Wednesday-ish. <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> do not quote him on that actually you said wednesday-ish so it's just right. wednesday-ish except for when jessica has the flu um, mm-hmm. she's she's finally better now yes uh but yeah you can find us on uh it's the curly nerd.com mm-hmm. and all social media platforms at it's the curly nerd so that's where you can find us there i'm also part of a newer endeavor mm-hmm. called from houston with love mm-hmm. which is uh a group of three of us, a uh, gentleman named Kashmir Don, mm-hmm. another named D. Ray Thomas, and myself. All of our initials are DR. Yeah. In real life, DR, DR, DR. And it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because we didn't really know what it would be when we first started. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, part of it covers uh, certain cultural cues from Houston. So we do cover some arts and culture and how they, how they're relevant to Houston. At least that's, what we say we're doing Mm -hmm. uh we also have a segment where we offer relationship advice so to speak and some people call it consciously offensive 
That's a trademark <laughs> term that we're Or decidedly unwoke. Decidedly unwoke, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a lot of fun with it. We crack a lot of jokes. You get to hear us sound very country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voice shout that I'm out, speaking, shout out to episode two. Yeah, <laughs> the voice that I'm speaking with right now is my normal speaking voice. Uh, episode two, uh, we had a guest on there named Vodka, mm-hmm. and that brought forth, uh, uh, I guess, a more regional dialect that I was not aware that I still had, uh-huh. and that was a lot of fun. But uh, another another huge part of it is we are affiliated with Rappers I Know Records, mm-hmm. uh, rappersiknow.com which has traditionally been a platform for independent hip-hop artists to showcase their music. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were actually one of the first blogs to ever post music for free for people to consume. Nice. And some of the earlier artists that were featured on there were people like Jay Electronica or mm-hmm. um, Danny Brown, people who've gone on to do bigger... Actually, quite as kept, Drake was also uh, wow. featured on, on, this, on the website... I won't say he. We were the first one to feature him, but mm-hmm. we were one of the early. very early ones to yeah. feature him before his mixtape is mixtapes really jumped off mm-hmm. the way that they did. So it really has been a launch pad for a lot of people. But during the twelve years that has been in existence, we've accumulated a wealth of music in that catalog. Yeah, and so every week we share we share a few songs from that collection as mm-hmm. well. Just kind of a kind of a way to to bring people in on that. Uh, but check that one out. It comes on allrealradio.com, allrealradio.com, every Monday from 9 to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time. Mm -hmm. All Real Radio also has an app. You can also subscribe to that broadcast in podcast form by visiting Mm illmanneredmedia.com. It's on iTunes and Google Play as well, so just subscribe to it. It's two hours of good music, lots of fun, and hilarity. Uh, those are the two podcasts that are in production right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are another three potentially in the works <laughs> as well. This Which is more more details might be forthcoming down the road. Down the road. Down uh, the road. One, once things get yeah. developed. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna jump into that just now. Yeah. Um, outside of the podcast, like I said, I'm an aspiring filmmaker, mm-hmm. and I'm involved with a couple of short films that uh, some colleagues of mine and I are filming right now in the Houston area. That we are trying to prep for uh, festival season, for mm-hmm. screening season. Uh, one of them is a, a short story about um, an author who wants to write about crime life mm-hmm. and somehow gets caught up in the underground himself. Hmm. Um, another one, actually, I'm not going to give a, a premise for the other one because it does have a twist ending, Ooh, but very okay. similar to the 48 hour project, our challenge with this one was to shoot the entire film in one day. Wow. And we actually, uh, last week we shot it all in one day. It took a full day. I wanted to collapse. But it was it was a good challenge for us, and I think it came out great. All right. Um, and that's about it. The only other thing is, actually, there are three things. I'll mm-hmm. make it very brief. Um, there are three things that I'm working on personally mm-hmm. that will be in various stages of development throughout the end of the year. Uh, the first one is a sitcom. Okay. That I've almost finished writing based on my life growing up as being, if I can say this, <laughs> the one guy in the hood that people said talked white. Uh-huh. Um, I have no idea what that is like. I, I know, man. Yeah, I know. weird. I know. But it's a story about a guy who grows up like that, leaves the neighborhood, mm-hmm. moves back into the neighborhood 10 years later. Oof. 
and hilarity ensues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the second one is a martial arts flick. Yes. By an all African American cast. Nice. Something that I don't think anyone has ever seen before. And then the third one is something that will actually turn the superhero genre on its head. Mm. I will definitely not give that one away because there is a unique premise uh-huh. to it that I think will um, send shockwaves. <laughs> All right. So that's about it. Nice. Yeah, just a couple and then things. Where can people find find you on social media so they can follow all of these various oh, pursuits of yours? Me myself personally, you can find me um, on at Damian Randall mm-hmm. everywhere. My name is unique enough that I can use my first and last name. There you go. And I'm pretty sure you'll you'll tag it. I will. And everything. Uh, but yeah, you can find me online being decidedly unwoke and unnecessarily provoking people into <laughs> um, controversial discussions. That's what I do. Sounds good. And live tweeting. Live tweeting like oh, a maniac. Live tweeting. Oh, yes. So tune in on Sundays on Twitter uh, and catch the hashtag Dem Thrones, and you will see Damien tweet up a storm. Tweeting up uh, Game of Thrones. I'm going to start tweeting Rick and Morty. Nice. And anything else that seems like it might be a train wreck, I will probably start tra- uh, live tweeting that as well. Sounds like a plan. Love it. Great. Uh, so for this on location shoot here in San Antonio. Uh, you have been listening to the About to Review podcast. Uh, I have been your host, that guy named John. Like I said, you can follow it on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, Blueberry, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, here is another challenge to the first person who sends a video talking to their Alexa. Uh, I have some stickers that are very limited edition stickers. Ooh. I will send you some stickers. Um, so yeah, take a video of yourself asking your Alexa to play about review and hopefully it works <laughs> and I'm on there. Uh, you can email the show at about at gmail.com if you have some movie suggestions or thoughts. So for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John. And I have been Damian Randall. And we will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, at Vexing Media. <laughs>